0: We've been talking about the challenges uh, in second Thessalonians of living for the Lord in the last days of what are the characteristics of life in the last days and what particular challenges are we as Christians going to face as we wait for the return of our King Jesus and we're navigating the world in which we live and and. What it really boils down to is that we need more than ever to be a people of faith. God has always called peoples, ever since he created them in the book of Genesis, to be a people of faith. And and more than ever, we need people to be people of faith today, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We're going to be in the Gospels in many different passages, but I want to begin in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, and I want to set the message up in this way. There is a difference the Bible teaches us between belief and faith. There's a difference between believing and and faith. And the Bible teaches us that those of us who claim to have a relationship with God need to be people who live by faith. God calls us to that because the Bible tells us that even demons believe and tremble. In other words, even demonic beings They have a a comprehension, if you will. They, They have an understanding of who God is. They grasp God. And they can even understand and comprehend His Word as far as they get it. But they are not a creation of God that lives by faith. Because faith is more than just comprehending. It's more than understanding. It's more than grasping. And I think the concern today is that there are many even Christians today who believe but are still not living by faith. Because if faith can be reduced to two words to describe it, it can be reduced in this way. A faith response to God is a response that says, yes, Lord. That's what faith's response is to God. Yes, Lord. In fact, if you don't remember or retain anything else from the message this morning, I hope that you will carry those two words with you in the days and weeks and months ahead. That describes a response of faith to God. Two words, yes, Lord. And yet we read here in the Gospel of Luke, we're beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18. Jesus begins to encourage people who are following Him to pray rather than to lose heart. To be overwhelmed by life circumstances. To become spiritless. To be overwhelmed by what goes on around them and in them. To not get discouraged. To not throw up our hands and give up and just say, it's too much for me. I, I can't go on. I can't deal with this. And Jesus then begins to teach in the first seven verses, if you will, about the importance of faith and of responding to God with yes, Lord, in our lives. Not simply to be a people who believe, but a people who respond to God in faith. But then Jesus makes this very sobering statement and asks this very sobering question at the end of his teaching in verse 8. He says these words, and I direct your attention to them this morning, in Luke 18, verse 8, where Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, so He's looking ahead now, thousands of years to the time where He will come back, and we've been talking about that in 2 Thessalonians. And here's what Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Will there be people who are living by faith anymore on the earth? The the implication is that even by using the word finding that Jesus is saying here, it's like God sort of has to go on a, a search mission. Because faith will not be, you know, something that is readily seen throughout the world. That that it's something he literally has to sort of seek and and search for. Am I going to find faith in anybody's life? Is anyone out there anymore still living by faith? But that's how we must live in the day and age in which we live. I mean, again, we've even been reminded this past week of the kind of world that we're going to have to navigate before Jesus comes back. And God is saying to us, Are we ready to deal with the reality of what the world's going to be like and going to continue to be like before Jesus finally does come? And if we don't realize that we more than ever have to be a people of faith, then we're really missing the one call that God is laying upon all of us as those who claim to be His followers. Yes, living in this world, there are a lot of things that are going to challenge us, if you will, to be a people of faith. There are going to be a lot of things that discourage us from being a people of faith. Let me share five of them with you quickly this morning. The first one is we are living in a world of secularism, meaning there is no God. That's the way our world is operating now. There is no God. And a generation ago, when I was much younger, atheists and, and even agnostics were, were pretty passive in, in the sense that they would, they would say, Well, I don't believe in God, but if you do and you want to, that's okay. But today, there is an angry atheism. There is an atheism that will seek to intimidate you as a follower of Jesus Christ and confront you as a follower of Jesus Christ. They are mad at God and they are mad at you for believing in God. And they are mad at you for taking the things of God seriously. And it's very interesting to me and always has been that the people who say they don't believe in God when something goes wrong in their life always get mad at the God they don't believe in. They don't get mad at the planet. They don't get mad at the evolutionary process. They don't get mad at natural selection that they believe in. Say, oh, natural selection, you're eliminating me. Oh, evolutionary process, you're against me. No, they throw their anger against the God that they don't believe in. And we are living in a secularistic society today in this world that doesn't believe in God. That leads to a world of relativism. Relativism simply means there is not only no God, there is no truth. There are no fixed, moral, absolute principles anymore. As the book of Judges says, everyone will do what's right in their own eyes. And that relativistic world that we live in is eroding our sense of truth and justice. It is eroding our sense of right and wrong. No one claim of truth has any value or priority over any other claim of truth, which really means there is no truth at all. In fact, the only virtue that is valued and prized in a relativistic world is the virtue of tolerance. Where any opinion and everything is just supposed to be tolerated, no matter how absurd or out there it is. That's the only thing that's prized. Which has led us, even as a world and society, sometimes to value plants and animals even more than human beings. That's the world that is going to discourage our being a people of faith. And then the secularism and relativism leads to selfism. Where I'm all that matters. It's all about me. It's just about what makes me happy. It's why we live in a world today where people care more about taking pictures of themselves than they do someone else or something else. And folks, when you and I pursue life for us, we begin to lose our passion and compassion for anyone else. And we begin to grow cold towards one another. That's what selfism will do. And the Bible tells us in the last days, people will be lovers of their own selves. More than lovers Of God or anyone else. And then secularism and relativism and selfism leads to materialism. If I'm all that matters, then I just need more stuff. Give me more stuff. That's what's going to fulfill me and make me happy. And we live in a society in a world today where every one of the latest gadgets and technical, you know, toys and all of that. We run to grab a hold of because somehow that latest thing is going to make my life more interesting. It's going to make my life more satisfying. Somehow that latest gadgets going to fulfill me in some way. And we just keep filling our lives with stuff upon stuff. It's why even in the garages that we have in our own homes, we can't put our cars there anymore because that's where all of our stuff goes. And the problem with materialism and with focusing on stuff is that that stuff never loves us back. That stuff never brings us any fulfillment or satisfaction or meaning to life. We can fill our lives all filled with stuff and it never really means anything at the end of the day. It leaves us absolutely empty, which is where we are in our world today. We are living in a world full of empty souls, where people are empty because they bought into the secularism, they bought into the relativism, they bought into the selfism, and they bought into the materialism, and they're nothing but an empty shell, which makes us then vulnerable to mysticism. Where we get to a place where we go, is anything or anybody out there? Is there anything that could give meaning? Or is my life, is this all there is? And that's why people who live under that kind of philosophy and mindset, if if this is all I've got, then I've got to try to make everything happen in this life. It's not about anything in the other life, because there is no, this is it. And a million years from now, and ten million years from now, is anybody going to even care that I was born and that I existed? Or is my footprint going to be obliterated from planet Earth forever? Is there any kind of purpose or meaning to even my existence? See, this is what happens in a world that has rejected God and God's truth. We're just here by accident. We're just here by chance. And when we get to that place too, we then begin to try to create our own reality we live in a world of illusion and delusion that's what mysticism does and we're willing to buy into anything because there is no god there is no truth it's all about me i just need more stuff and somehow again we've come to this place That's why it's a challenge for us as the people of God to live by faith. Because all the world that we live in and the way the multitudes upon planet Earth are living their lives, that's the way they live. And yet God calls us to live on a much different level. He calls us to respond to Him in faith. And I want to share with you this morning three times where Jesus Christ met someone in crisis. And in that moment of crisis in their life, in that defining moment of their life, Jesus called them to faith. I want to begin this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. We are introduced in verse 27 to two blind men as Jesus is traveling from town to town. And these two blind men have heard that Jesus is coming now to their town. He's, He's headed towards them. And so when they hear that Jesus is actually there, they begin to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us, O Son of David. Now that's significant. Because that term is a term that was used to describe the Messiah. They are, by using that term, actually acknowledging that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The Son of God. God of very God. And they are basically asking Jesus to heal them of their blindness. Now, if you read, you'll notice something very interesting. As they're crying out to Jesus, Jesus doesn't stop at that point. The Bible says in Matthew's gospel, Jesus keeps walking, goes right by, them, and goes into a house. And the Bible tells us that these two men, these two blind men, follow him into the house. Well, well, first of all, they're blind, so they can't get to that house on their own. Obviously, they have friends or family or something who's leading them and guiding them along the way. But it shows us something that they are going to relentlessly pursue Jesus. Just like we sung about this morning. They're hungry, they're thirsty, because they realize, even in this moment, I can't live without you, Jesus. And I can't live without your power. So you'll notice, in verse 28, when they went into the house, the blind men came to Him, and then Jesus says to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I have the power, the ability, the capability, the capacity to do this for you? And notice their response. The response of faith. They said to Him, Yes, Lord. They were saying yes to His power. Because they relentlessly pursued His power. They acknowledge, Lord, we can't live without your power. Not only to be healed from this blindness, but we can't live at all without your power. Have you said yes to the power of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to heal spiritually, emotionally, and physically? Do you believe that Jesus can make you whole? A whole person? Do you believe in the power of Jesus to live every day? Because His power isn't just to do something, say, miraculous. The miracle can be to live by the power of Jesus every day. To realize that I can't live one day or one moment of the day without your power, Jesus. The Bible even says even young people get tired and weary. But those who are willing to wait on the Lord and respond to him in faith can renew their strength. you getting tired. Is life wearing you down? Are you getting exhausted and worn out by life? Then there's only one of two things. Either you're taking more on in life than God wants you to. Or you and I at that moment aren't living by the power of God. We are living in our own power and we're trying to do things in our own power, and in our own strength. And Jesus is calling us to faith. He's saying, will you respond to me and say, yes, Lord, I need your power. I need your power every day. I need to live in your power. I need to live with your power. I can do nothing without your power, Lord. And I'm going to say as these two blind men, yes, Lord, to your power. Notice that in Israel at this point, these two blind men could see what people who had sight could not see. Because they saw who Jesus really was and they responded in faith. They said, yes, Lord, to your power. That's why Jesus in Luke 18 said, Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. The root of that word for lose heart literally speaks about weakness. That part of the reason why we feel overwhelmed and feel like throwing our hands up and can't deal with things and discouragement and and fainting and losing heart is because we are spiritually weak. Because we're not living by faith. We may believe, but remember, the demons believe. But are we truly, as followers of God, living by faith? Have we said, yes, Lord, to your power? And that's why Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find people who are responding to me and saying, Lord, I need your power. And I can't live without it, God. And I will relentlessly pursue your power no matter what. Because I need it. Yes, Lord. Then I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. To John's Gospel, chapter 11. A very familiar story in the Gospels. I'll pick it up when I get there in verse 23. Jesus has been informed that his good friend Lazarus is really sick. In fact, he's near death. And when Jesus hears that, the Bible tells us that Jesus intentionally does not leave, he actually stays. Right where he's at. And the disciples are probably looking at him like, uh, we're not, we're not going? No, we're not going. Well, okay, we're we're with you. If that's what you want to do, then we'll hang tight. And the Bible tells us that Jesus waited intentionally for four days. Well, by the time then Jesus said, Okay, it's time to go. Let's go to Bethany. By the time they get there. The Bible tells us Lazarus is dead. In fact, he died soon after the visitors even came to inform Jesus. And Mary, one of the sisters of Lazarus, is so overcome with grief that all she can do basically is get alone by herself and just weep and grieve. But Martha, her sister, because even sisters can be a little different, her sister Martha actually goes out to sort of confront Jesus when she hears he's coming. In fact, she basically lets Jesus have it. She said, Jesus, if you would have been here when my brother was sick, he wouldn't have died. And notice Jesus replied in verse 23, your brother will come back to life again. And Martha said, I know he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, like any, say, good Jew at that point, oh, she believed in a future resurrection. But notice what Jesus said to her. Verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus saying, Martha... Do you believe in me? Do you believe in who I am? And notice that this was before he ever raised her brother from the dead. Jesus was saying, I want you to respond to me in faith. Am I to you who I need to be? Who I am? Do you believe, but are you really responding in faith? Are you willing, Martha, to surrender to my sovereignty and trust me here? And notice, she replied in verse 27, Yes, Lord. If the two blind men said yes to his power, Jesus was calling upon Martha to say yes to his person to truly surrender to His sovereignty as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as the ruler of the universe. Will you trust me, Martha? Because Jesus understands at this point, just like we would struggle like Martha, His ways are not always our ways. His plans in our life are not always our plans. His timing is not always our timing. What he allows to come into our life isn't always obviously what we would choose. And we have to get to the point like Martha, where even before Jesus raised her brother from the dead, she was willing to say, Lord, I don't understand why my brother died. I don't understand why you delayed for four days to come. I don't understand all of this, but God, I'm going to respond to you in faith. And I'm going to say yes, Lord, to your person. I trust you, God. I entrust my life to you. I rest in who you are. I believe. And the Bible says that she went on to say, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. And you know the rest of the story. After that response of faith by Martha... Mary comes out to greet Jesus as well and Jesus goes along towards the path, towards the tomb where Lazarus is buried. And He sees the devastation and the pain that people are going through because of what sin has done when it entered into the world. And the Bible says Jesus wept. Not because... Whether he was going to raise Lazarus was in question. He knew what he was going to do. It it was he looked around at the devastation and the pain and the distress that sin had caused upon humanity. And it reminds us that our Savior is a sympathetic high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows more than we could ever imagine what we're going through. And we need to trust in Him. We need to respond in faith and say, Yes, Lord. I trust. I don't maybe understand it. I don't have an answer for it. But you're my God and I believe in you, God. And I'm saying yes to your person. And then later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. This is after Jesus had risen from the dead. It's one of his post-resurrection appearances. And Jesus had, had appeared to his disciples several times before he was actually taken up to heaven. And yet Jesus needed to do something very important. In this moment, it was more than just appearing to His disciples in risen form. He needed to close the loop with one of His disciples. He needed to show that He was a friend to the fallen. He needed to show that He was a God who was always about restoration and about forgiveness. He and Peter needed to have Some one-on-one time together. Because he and Peter really hadn't had a chance to speak since Peter denied the Lord three times on the night he was arrested. And very interestingly, the Bible tells us that when they got on the beach after they recognized that this was Jesus, notice in verse 9 it says they saw A charcoal fire ready with a fish placed on it and bread. Jesus had prepared the last breakfast for his followers. Not the last supper. But I want to draw your attention to the two words charcoal fire. There's something significant about that. Because back in John's gospel chapter 18 verse 18. We read that where was Peter warming his hands the night he betrayed Jesus, he was warming them, the Bible says, over a charcoal fire. See, our senses sometimes, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, can take us back to previous things. It, it can remind us and bring things to our memory. And I'm sure that when Peter got on that beach, and he smelled that charcoal fire, it reminded him Of the night he betrayed his Lord. And so Jesus and he need to spend some time together. And so if you look over in verse 15, when they had finished their breakfast with everyone else, Jesus and Peter sort of had come apart and they needed to do some one-on-one. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these do? And notice Peter's response. Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus told him, then feed my lambs. And Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. One more time, Jesus asked for an affirmation of Peter's love. Why? Because the three affirmations of love matched the three times Peter denied the Lord. And every time, Peter responded with these two words. Yes, Lord. What was Peter responding to? What was he saying yes to? If the two blind men in Matthew 9 were saying yes to his power, And Martha in John's Gospel chapter 11 was saying yes to his person. Peter here in John 21 was saying yes to his pardon. He's saying, yes, Lord. I receive your forgiveness. I I have to own what I did. I have to acknowledge what I did. Sin isn't something that's a game that we take lightly. It's something we have to acknowledge, but we also have to just as seriously and and just as, as much, we have to be a people who receive the forgiveness of God and say yes to his pardon. Why? Because you'll notice something. Jesus wasn't finished with Peter even though he failed him. Jesus had a great mission for Peter for the rest of his life. He had a great plan and purpose for Peter. He had service and ministry designed for Peter. He wasn't through with Peter yet, even though Peter had fallen. But the only way Peter was ever going to effectively serve him and minister for him was to say yes to his pardon, was to truly believe that God would forgive him of what he'd done and let it go and let it get behind him and not feel the shame or the guilt of it anymore. But to realize what the Bible teaches, that God casts our sin into the depth of the sea. He never brings it up. He never remembers it anymore. He doesn't bring it up to us anymore. He forgives us freely. Will we say yes to His pardon? I think there are so many Christians who believe in the forgiveness of God, but somehow they've never personally said yes to His pardon. And the reason I say that is because whatever they have done in the past, either a group of things that they've done or a particular sin or moment of failure in their life is something that still hangs over them like a cloud or like this weight that weighs them down. And the Bible clearly teaches us that if we never really say yes to his pardon and really receive the forgiveness of God, we will never truly reach our potential in Jesus Christ. We will never serve him and minister for him. Notice Jesus said, then go feed my sheep, Peter, go shepherd my lambs. I've got work for you to do, but the only way Peter could effectively be the leader in the early church that God designed him to be was for him to truly receive God's forgiveness for what he had done and put it behind him once and for all and move on. And so Peter had to say, yes, Lord. Yes to his pardon. I believe that you have forgiven me. Either we can't let go of our sin or we allow our spiritual enemy, the accuser and the slanderer to keep throwing our sin and our failure and the times that we've fallen in life up in our face. But that's not how God wants the people of faith to live their lives. He wants us when those things happen to resist the devil And allow Him to flee from us and to truly say, yes, Lord, I believe that You have pardoned me and that You still can use me and You still have a plan for my life. And that's what Peter needed to do. He needed to say yes to the pardon of God. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth faith can be defined as simply living a life where we say yes Lord we can say no but the response of faith is saying yes and always remember in your spiritual minds and thinking and understanding there's a difference between belief and faith demons believe Even people that will never end up in heaven can believe. They can have a comprehension and understanding and they can grasp certain things about God and about spiritual things. But God is looking for people of faith. The Bible teaches the just shall live by faith. The Bible teaches without faith it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He is and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. How do we demonstrate faith? The same way the blind men did. The same way Martha did. The same way Peter did. We demonstrate our faith as the people of God by saying, Yes, Lord. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I want to ask you this question. Please hang in there with me for just a moment. I truly believe that there are some here this morning, and maybe some who will listen to this message at some point, That God is particularly dealing with you about one of these areas. Maybe you need to say yes to His power today in your life. That you have doubted the power of God and what God's power can do in your life in so many ways. And you need to say, yes, Lord, I believe like Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing that I can't do with Christ's power pulsating through my life. I say yes, God, to your power. Even in the world in which we live, with all we've got to navigate, with the way the world's going, I'm saying yes, your power is going to get me through this. Your power is going to keep me going. Your power is going to give me my spiritual life and vitality. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm not going to throw my hands up and say enough. I'm going to keep going, God, because I'm navigating this life with your power and your power only. But some of you here, maybe you need to say yes to his person. Finally surrendering to his sovereignty in your life. You don't know why the things have happened that they've happened in your life. You don't know why the God of the universe has allowed these things. You don't know why his way wasn't your way, why his plan for your life wasn't your plan, why his timing in your life wasn't his timing. But you, like Martha, are going to come to a place where you're going to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, God, that you love me and you would never allow anything to come into my life that ultimately wasn't for my spiritual good. Yes, Lord, I trust you. And then some of you may say yes to his pardon. You've allowed something or a group of things that you have done in your life, some failure in your life, some way you have fallen, to just hang on you. The word forgiveness means to let loose, to let it go. And God is saying, do you trust me to let it go? Will you say yes to his pardon? And like never before, receive his forgiveness for each and every one of our sins. To know that God casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to bring them up. That's what Jesus will do. But we've got to respond. We've got to say yes, Lord, like Peter. Let's stand this morning. We're going to sing Lord, I need you. And I'm just going to call on you today who are here at the Oasis Church that if God is moving in your life and God is particularly moving you to to say maybe yes to his power, to his person, to his pardon today in your life and you believe that God wants to have you even come here and and make the front of this auditorium an altar today where you and God can, can do some business, or maybe where some brothers and sisters in Christ can come and pray alongside of you or pray with you, would you join me here today? Would you come as we sing this song?